Cake Talk. Welcome to Cake Talk. You well, know what? The most wholesome... We are te- pivoting hard. <laughs> the most Movies wholesome, are out. Cakes are in. The most wholesome television there is is The Great British Baking Show. Yeah. Mm. So I'm just, Widely agreed upon. I've heard that, yes. Oh, I just want to say that that is absolutely the case. Also, yeah. I'm, under, I'm weirded out by the Internet's sudden obsession with everything is cake. It's a uh, weird meme. It's that been going on for a while now. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, 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 it it's weird. Is the longevity still there, or did Netflix finally try to capitalize on longevity so it's just kind of given it a little bit more shelf life? Because those TikTok trends... That's a good question. It's like the thing, like, you notice this a lot during the Super Bowl ads, probably this year, maybe maybe last year, but I know this year is like a lot of ads tried to use memes or TikTok... Yeah, you know, to kind of keep going. Yeah, to to be relevant in in their advertising, they they'd hop on songs that are used on TikTok or yeah. dances that are used in TikTok. And it feels visible. like at that point, it's become lame. It's yeah. you know, once the old person does it, it's it's done. That's what. Yeah, and Netflix having a is it cake contest does. And I love of... Mikey. What's his name from Saturday Night Live? The host. Oh yeah, um, um, I know who you're talking about. He's on Saturday Night Live, but yeah, I, I'm I'm irritated about the old person doing it thing because I use the word goaded. Not very long ago, in front oh, of my fifteen-year-old. Oh, dead. oh yeah. he hates me now. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's over. I can't believe goated, goated, like, greatest of all time. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and and to yeah. to give someone that status, give them goated status, it, they become goated. Yeah. yeah, and so it one one can be goated by. It's fun to drop stuff like that in class once in a while, though. Mm-hmm. But, but I, apparently not. Not for your your not, kid who's my kid embarrassed of you. Yes, I'm I'm an utter source Wait, of why, shame. You've ruined his you've ruined his pop culture. I, I've ruined you've ruined everything. his medium. Yeah, I, I've yeeted goaded right from him, and <laughs> and now he hates me. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Slang Talk Cast, Cake Talk Cast. I don't know. Um, Mean Talk Cast. Oh no, we're about to yeet the peacemaker right out of the... (laughs) (laughs) That's so cringe. Not sorry, John Cena. Um... (laughs) No cap, this is a bad bit. (laughs) 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 We gotta get out of here. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. That includes Mimi Leader's The Peacemaker, starring uh, George Clooney and... uh, Nicole, Nicole Kidman. Kidman. You can never remember her name. Nicole and Kidman. I usually deride her. It usually does. He has I don't no deri- respect. I, I don't deride her. Have I think. you been to an AMC recently, Dustin? I mean, in the last year and a half? Yes. <laughs> I think I have. Have you seen Nicole Kidman remind you about how important it is to go to the movies? Isn't I, it weird to run that... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, no, no. I don't think I have. Go. It's incredible. Okay. Isn't it weird to run that right before... I mean, I'm already here. What are you selling me? Come back. Please come back. Yeah, I guess. Please don't stop coming back. I guess. Yeah. It's just weird. Put that on TV. I'll tell you what. The Put moment, that in the Super Bowl. The moment she... That should have been a Super Bowl commercial. But yeah. the moment she does, she goes from her Australian accent to an American accent, it works every time. You're still talking about the ad, not this movie. The, the ad, yes. <laughs> this movie... <laughs> <laughs> I have no aim to fight you. I, yeah, I'm not, I look, I'm not, I'm not looking to pick any fights with Nicole Kidman about this movie. Uh, I just that ad is great. I love yeah, it. it. Is. I think it's it a rules. fun watch. It's incredible. It's short a, film of the year. I hope it wins the short film award. I, me too, man. Uh, I guess we could talk about Mimi Letters, the Peacemaker, though. But I'm going to still be Dustin. I am still going to be Arthur. I guess I can still be Dalton. Okay. We just now identified ourselves. We have done that now. Um, we're going to spoil this movie later. We're going to do a synopsis first. Then we're going to do some quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Then we might do the gentlest of spoilers of this film or films in its orbit in a syllabus. Then we're going to play music and let you know that spoiler bets are off. So if you haven't caught up with The Peacemaker, you want to know whether or not the whole world blows up from the nuclear weapons or not. 
it probably doesn't, but we'll let you know um, yes. at that part Spoilers of the spoiler area. for a 25-year-old film incoming. That no one saw. I didn't see it. In fact... Um, and you were seeing everything in 97. I was. Not, I didn't, no, he wasn't. He didn't see The Lost World. I That's didn't true. see The Lost World or this one. Did but you I, see what was I the saw the movie? poster for this. But you saw Romeo and Michelle. I did see Romeo and Michelle. Uh, the goth it, cowboy strikes again. What, what, what... <laughs> What is interesting is you've got the poster up on your screen right now, and there is a little bit of uh, background whatever behind George Clooney's head, mm. and I was convinced that George Clooney's character had a mullet in this film. <laughs> uh, can you see what I see? It's a much better movie if he can, does. Can you God. see what? Can you see what I see though? <laughs> yeah. Okay. If it, only. But no, he plays. I think it's his headset he has on that kind of hangs down right here. I don't so know it what it is. Effect. But that was the poster that that hung in the theater in which I worked. What is this? I need to see what this tagline is. Every nuclear device in the world has been accounted for, except, except one. one. Which is the third act of this movie. Yeah. That's a weird way to... Anyway. It's not actually the... Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 get us to it. Okay, so, um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're ready for a synopsis, I think, at this point. I think I've said all the things I need to say. He's done the preamble, yeah. Arthur, what's this movie about? A U.S. Army colonel and a civilian woman supervising him must track down stolen <laughs> Russian nuclear weapons before they are used by terrorists. That was an IMDb Yes, poll. it was. Yeah, that wasn't you. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't you. Oh, my Lord. Read it again. I, I need to hear it again. A U.S. Army... <laughs> you got this. A U.S. Army colonel and a civilian woman supervising him <laughs> must track down stolen Russian nuclear weapons before they are used by terrorists. I think we A can... civilian woman supervising him. I hey, think George, go... that's a, that's a you're doing s- it wrong. That's, that's a, a, some Forget s- the preamble. Let's go right to analysis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was written by a salty MRA guy. Yeah. Oh. Doesn't like the, the logistics oh of this. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is so much of what it is. For the record, Dr. Julia Kelly is the head of the National Security Council Nuclear Smuggling Group. Civilian. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she is technically... She is. She's She's not a member of the armed forces. No. And sometimes the armed forces are... Well, uh, entirely the armed forces are supervised by civilian authorities. Sort of like the whole deal. That's how you avoid having a junta. That is the point of having civilian oversight of your armed forces to avoid juntas. Well, let's talk about Dr. Julia Kelly and Army Ranger uh, Zap Brannigan. What's his name? Um, Steve Stevenson. It's Tom DeVoe. Tom DeVoe, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally what I so said. So you didn't see this in 97. This I, is a first time watch for all of us, I think. I believe it is. We are all virgins to this particular thing. Correct. Well, let's make you go again. You were the most likely to have seen this in 1997. I might have been. Well, I was very likely to have seen it. So what did you? What, uh, what do you think about this dad movie, Dad? I think this movie is entirely forgettable. I think this movie is the... It is prefabricated, modular home filmmaking. It is a James Bond movie with not James Bond, without stupid jokes. It's just, hey, we need a kind of sleazy, kind of slimy, but also kind of likable, Russian-adjacent agent... Uh, I don't remember. I don't actually know the nationality of the actor. Oh, we're gonna it's, get. He's it. not Russian. He's no. He's Israeli, he isn't he? Is uh, oh god, the actor is. He's playing a Slovi- Russian. No, Slovenian. No, 
Stop. Sorry, you don't talk about the fucking Balkans. I've been doing so much homework this week, and you keep the Balkans names out of your mouth. Hey, you he know, not, <laughs> he's, he's are a, you going to slap me? He's a Croat, he's a Serb, and he's, he's a, a Muslim. Muslim. <laughs> That's what he is, and he's got a whole point no, to make about the Yugoslav. No, not the bad guy. No, they no, no, this no, no, as no, 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 no. I'm talking about Dimitri. I'm not talking about the bad guy. Uh, I'm talking about Dimitri. Dimitri is, is a German actor playing a Russian. Which one is Dimitri? Is he a German actor? Yeah, Dimitri. Dimitri yeah, is... Arm, yeah, Armin yeah. Stahl, yeah. I love him. He's great in he's Eastern Promises. Is he German? Yes, yes he's okay. a German actor. Yeah, the Eastern Promises guy. Yeah, how he's, I know. he's super great, but... Uh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about the antagonist of no, the film. No, Dushan? No, I'm not talking about him. Yeah, uh, yeah whatever his uh, actor's name is. Kodorov and... I yeah. couldn't keep these people straight. Uh, There's a lot of moving pieces in this. There film. are. Well, I mean, it, it feels uh, it's a it's a paint by numbers movie without half the paints. Um, I don't know what else to say. Um, I don't care for it. Uh, because it's, it's missing the cohesiveness. Mm, okay. You've got bits that are well filled in. Sure. And they are, again, again, well prefabricated modules that you might use in a film. But the, the bits between are kind of gone. You've taken part of the paints out. And you've got a you know, great star, you know, Nicole Kidman, um, and a great support, George Clooney. But I don't care. I just don't care. The movie makes me not care. I, mm. I, I was kind of mad I watched it. Wow. Um. Yeah, I, I really it. was kind of mad I watched it. So I don't like it very much. I love that he's mad about it, not the movie. Yeah. Uh. Well, what did you think about the movie? I did not like it. <laughs> Sam, I am. <laughs> You're all looking at me askance, and you hated it too. Well, hate's probably a strong well, word. Well, hate is a strong. I'm pretty word indifferent for me. towards it. Maybe that, that's where I am. I, I think. think the. Uh, I think the first act of this movie features some really. Interesting stuff. I think there's some great directorial flourishes and some good cinematography, some good edits. There's a lot of shoes. Is there? There's a lot of shoes Walking. in the first 20 minutes of the movie. There's a yeah. great long shot that moves kind of after uh, Kidman and Clooney have been paired together. They move through some government agency building or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a really cool long shot that really, I think, encapsulates the panic and unease and unrest of what's going on in this moment in this situation. Uh, you know, there's stuff like that. There's a, a really cool the shot on the train at the beginning with the red glowing uh, goggles. That's it's a good so image. cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. There's a nice edit transition from uh, the explosion at the beginning to, to the, the swimming. Pool. Yeah. So there are some really cool flourishes. And, and this is set up the, the, the dynamic of Nicole Kidman's character, Julia Kelly, as a woman in charge early on. Is she, you know, she has a line, you know, give me a man who will take a. Uh, commands from a woman it really feels like it's gonna be a movie about woman in the workplace trying to be assertive classic silence of the lamp stuff yeah it feels like that's the movie they're setting up i really wanted that movie and obviously george clooney is is one of the greats he's he's, you know i sent a message he's probably the most charismatic actor of the last 30 years i agree it's him denzel or sandra bullock i think at this point uh but he's one of the greats and nicole kidman is very good usually uh her accent work here is real hit or miss um but i I think she plays well off Clooney. they're both a-list stars at this point in 97 and after the this turns into a james bond espionage globe trotting movie it just becomes boring uh this movie is about 60 minutes too long uh, I thought this movie was wrapping up <laughs> when he has the big face off with Kotteroff. No on the way, bridge. baby. No way. I That's when the that movie's was the, I was just like, getting warmed up. This movie's okay. This, we're at the end. And I was like, oh, there's an hour of this left. There's another hour. What are they going to do? The best hour. 
<laughs> you guys are making me like the peacemaker more. <laughs> Everybody either dies a hero or lives long enough to become the villain. That's right. Um, I, I just the, the 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 you know the search to figure out. Oh, there is a bomb missing. Oh. There's 30 minutes of New York of them tracking this guy down. I'm just spoiling plot points at this point. I don't nah, care. That's fine. Um, but I just, that could all be trimmed down. I don't feel like it adds any suspense. I don't feel it adds anything. I'm still, we can talk about this later, but the there's there's an explosion at the end of this movie, and I don't understand stuff about the logistics of that explosion. Um, but I just, I, I, I think maybe some of it is, I think this starts as a really interesting movie. And then it does become this sort of just very, 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 in a bad way, generic globe-trotting adventure. And I think mm-hmm. Clooney's really fun. Uh, I, I I like their scene in the. It's I think the when they go to meet the guy who has the trucks mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you know it starts out very diplomatic and then Clooney. Yeah, I like turns, that scene. Goes Jack the Bauer. Yeah. and I think that's a really cool moment. But it feels like they tossed away all of the character dynamics that they built up in the first thirty minutes of this mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. and so that's just just a weird pivot. And yeah, I feel like it loses some of the flourishes for the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, and it feels like they're in that last act when they're back in NYC. We get some more visual flourishes, some of the stuff with snipers and some of those aerial shots. It feels like we get some of that back. I think it's really dynamically shot stuff. But that middle part just bogs it down. A uh, yeah, lot. I think that. that second act just really brings me out of this movie. Outside of the the kind of those those opening moments when they're in wherever they're at, Russia or Slavic, I don't know where they're at when they go to meet the guy who has the trucks. Almost uh, Azerbaijan, but they I think they're are... in technically Russia. No, when but, they go to meet the guy with. The, am I the only one that watched this movie? When they go to meet the guy with the trucks, they're oh, in Austria. They're in Austria. Yeah, okay. yeah in Vienna. Right. Yes, they are oh, okay. in Dagestan when they go inter. Except the trucks Dalton on their way to his house this week with yarn and a you map. You know it, baby. I have learned so much about the Yugoslav Wars. <laughs> well, tell us what you love about this movie because I, we are both pretty cool on it. Yeah, I kind of like this. I don't know, guys. I don't. I don't know what it is. Are but... you a Mimi Letter fan? Because you went to bat for Deep Impact, I think, more than we did. I went to Deep Impact. Yeah, I went to bat for Deep Impact as well. Maybe I am just a Mimi Letter fan, but I I like what this movie's doing. I, I was on board with all the train stuff. I thought th- this sort of cold open that we get. Mm-hmm. This initial nuclear heist, uh, including a nuclear detonation, I just I was on board with all of it. I was just hooting and hollering. I was like, mm-hmm. guys with goggles, cool. A pan across to show all the civilians on the other train. Yeah. There's a lady breastfeeding. It's very picturesque. Boom. This is movie making at its finest, folks. I was on board with all of that shit. Uh, when we get to meet Clooney and Kidman, I thought both of them have really good character introductions, and then the introduction of their dynamic, I think, is really successful. Um, uh, and then I'm on board with the film trying to be about really complicated modern conflict. It is trying to deal with one of the most complicated uh issues of the 20th century, which was the breakup of Yugoslavia and all the conflicts that resulted out of that. Um, and it, I think it's interesting that a, a movie from 1997 is choosing, you know, while this conflict, these conflicts are still winding down, you know, they weren't over entirely at this point. You know, Sarajevo still riddled with mortar shells. They tried to make a movie that was like, hey, America is responsible in some ways for the ongoing escalation of this conflict. We should talk about our, our role in it and how somebody that was directly touched by this conflict might have a bone to pick with the U.S. Like, I think all of that thematically is really interesting. I do agree with Arthur that I, I think the the 
sort of getting there is not great. From the time we... There, there's just too many subplots going on. There, there are unfortunately too many moving pieces in this movie, which I, I get. I, it's you know, it's sort of, I think from a procedural standpoint, I think it's cool to have so many moving pieces. I think the film wants to sort of get really in the ground and show you like what what is happening when people are in a situation room and who's making what phone calls. Like I think it's very interesting in that process type stuff. It is unfortunately not able to communicate why that stuff is interesting or exciting. Uh, especially not when we have to get from uh, Karderov. Is that his name? The Russian rogue general? Right. Yeah, yeah the, the rogue Spetsnaz guy. Okay, mm-hmm. when, from, yeah, as, as you said, from catching Karderov to getting Garvich. Yeah, Garvich. Garvich. Dusan Garvich. Garvich. Gavin Garvich. To getting him is just like, it It really does strain to get from that one end of that one plot to the start of the sort of the, the home stretch, third act of the movie. So I, I, I do agree that I, I think it, it is lacking somewhat as far as making that that sort of middle section be propulsive tying up the second act and getting us into the third act it really does get sweaty and a little saggy but uh, i'm on board with all the stuff in austria i think that car chase is incredible Mm -hmm. i think it's really well acted from Clooney. uh acts driving very well uh, I don't know how much of his driving stunts he did, but as far as like what he's... I was wondering about that when they did some pullways. I was wondering if he was still driving or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, they do such a good job of like him pantomiming yeah. doing car stunts that it makes me wonder if some of he did get out to do any of his own car stunts because he fakes being in a car chase very well. Uh, I thought it was very convincing. Uh, I, I think all of the Austria stuff, like as you said, the meeting with the trucking guy is kind of fun. Like the way it's... But again, it it never delivers on the dynamic between Dr. Julia Kelly and um, Captain. Yeah, Captain DeVoe. It never makes that relationship compelling that there is a a lack of professional tension. I mean, pretty early on, DeVoe is like, I've been in the field and I know what it's like in the field. And you're a Washington lady. You just know Washington. And she's like, but I'm smart. And that's pretty much all that they do. There isn't any real sexual tension there isn't any professional tension they sort of say what their deal is and then they both kind of come to terms with each other's deals pretty amicably it's mm-hmm. I, I don't know it doesn't necessarily need to be more dramatic than it is but it might be more interesting if it were so uh, i guess i'm i'm defending this film because i think it is there's a lot of interesting things about it but i i definitely might be putting a little more mustard on the sandwich just because you guys dislike it so much <laughs> so that's that's where we're at so there you go um there's uh two dry burgers and one extra mustard uh for you all on our opinions <laughs> it even is dedicated to her dad it's d- dedicated to pop that's a letter sweet. it's a dad's movie that's what this movie is and i'm a dad and i don't care i yeah well they there you have it not every dad movies for every dad <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's move on to another part of the show we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Um, Arthur, can you explain what that's all about? Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week in adjacent text from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. Very good, very Pantomiming good. Pantomiming over here like Tom Cruise and Minority Report. Trying you look like to... an airline stewardess to <laughs> me. That's also what I was going for. <laughs> uh, just sort of putting together Arthur's uh, very succinct explanation of what this part of the show is. So, Arthur, do you have a syllabus prepared for us today? Yeah, I do. And I think I would just really focus on uh, George Clooney movie star. Um, Like I said, I I think he is kind of along with Denzel, Sandra Bullock, really the last of, you know, we've talked some uh, 
at length in the past about the kind of death of the movie star. Um, and it really feels like he is the last of, you know, him and, and those three really kind of feel like they're the last of, oh, I'm going to go see the new Clooney movie. I'm going to go see the new Bullet. I'm going to go see the new Denzel movie. Yeah. You know, it, it feels like a very classic style of acting. It is you know, taken, he's very much a yeah. uh, Cary Grant type and updating it and modernizing it for a new generation. It took Brad Pitt getting into his 50s and still having purchase to have that kind of clout and yeah. still got to open the movie with DiCaprio. Like, yeah. That's, it's, yeah. There's people who could have been movie stars in that generation, but for whatever reason, I think you're right. Those are sort of like the three yeah. uh, of the, the Gen X movie stars. Yeah. And there's just, I mean, as soon as he appears on screen, his, his just charisma, I think, is palpable, uh, which I think adds to that. So we would probably kick this off just kind of looking back at his career. We'd start, though, I think, with ER. I think you got to go back to where he's laying the groundwork on network television. Where uh, he first worked with Mimi Letter. Yeah. That's cool. Did yeah. she direct she on was, She has some produ- producer credits. I, was, I, was, I saw she had a lot of TV directing credits as well. She's done a lot of TV work. Uh, I think she's directed some ERs as well, but That'd I know cool. she has a producer credit that makes on sense, there. though. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, probably the first major actor to transition from TV to the big screen, uh, which is really unheard of in the 90s, I think. Now it's a yeah. little more common. And, and obviously, the back and forth is a lot more common now since mm-hmm. the Sopranos and this Netflix and this kind of golden age of TV. Prestige TV. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, it really feels like in the nineties, it was hard to make that leap and, and he did it easily. And, and so we would go, I think first to from dusk till dawn uh, where he gets to kind of play this anti-hero, but we, we get so seeds, charismatic though. Yeah. Uh, of he's so fucking on that, that, that type <laughs> that he's going to play this kind of, braggadocious little cocky you know he could be a weasel but he can kind of be you know he's greasy but he could also you know be a very good man uh but and from dustle dawn we're getting the seeds of of that type of the george clooney character and who george clooney is at least on screen um and i think a lot of his personality does come through in the type of characters that he plays though just, just seeing interviews with him listening to interviews with him i think a lot of george clooney is present and you know where that line is between uh the put on star image versus real life George Clooney, you know, I think is a really interesting point to discuss. And that's something we talk about with movie stars is movie star, the image and public persona versus the screen, Mm -hmm. you know, and screen persona versus private life. Sure. uh, We'd, we'd go to dust till dawn first. Uh, From there, we would jump to uh, out of sight, uh, which is important for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we talked about it here, but just, uh, when you put two very charismatic uh, and attractive actors together on screen, uh, things I think really light up, and him and Jennifer Lopez just really knock it out of the park. I mean, their their chemistry is is just through the roof, and I think it's due largely in part to both of their uh, just charisma and the way they play off of one another. And it's also very important because it's the first time uh, that he works with Steven Soderbergh, yeah, uh, who's a very important figure I think to his career, uh, and obviously Ocean Solaris. Uh, the good German, uh, a number of times they work together, uh, but it all starts out of sight. So we look at that collaboration, talk about that and how that kind of propels him forward uh, there. Uh, then we would look at uh, another early one here, and that is, oh, brother, where art thou? Sure. Uh, again, uh, kind of adds, I think, the next level to the George Clooney screen persona. He, he kind of has two or three different roles he ships in and out of, either the kind of government agent professional procedural type character who's trying to solve a problem or the very affable 
uh, braggadocious, cocky type uh, that we see really fleshed the out in rogue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which really comes to fruition, I think, in O Brother Where Art Thou. But again, another very important note because it's the first time that he works with the Coen Brothers, uh, mm. uh, which is again is probably the next most important part of his career outside of Soderbergh. Uh, from there, we're going to take a look at a Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, his directorial debut. Yep, his directorial <clears throat> debut. Uh, I like so that movie. Noted for that, but also uh, really brings to light, I think, his fascination with uh, American history and politics and government. And, and that's, you know, the first movie he makes is kind of tied down in that about this well, CIA hitman who was a... Uh, part of a Chuck Barris uh, game show, yeah. part-time game show host, yeah, 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 yeah. part-time CIA uh, wet worker. Uh, I think allegedly really speaks to his kind of proclivities and his natural interests and the things we, that he directs through time. The good night and good luck. Mm-hmm. Leatherheads really do focus on that uh, love of history and, and politics and, and Ides of March. Was Ides that of March. Yeah. With him and uh, the gauze. All right. And so, yeah, yeah I, I, so I think that's an interesting talking point there. Uh, from there, we we just kind of maybe jump around. Uh, I think uh, you know those are kind of the the roles he continues to take. Uh, we may look at Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox just to see him do some voiceover work with Wes Anderson. You know, it, it kind of points to he's worked with just about everybody. Yeah, uh, and and can kind of do all genre uh, that we see: uh, action, adventure, comedy, drama. He kind of runs, I think, the gamut there. Um, did I say? Did he do? Sorry, I was thinking he did another film before. Oh, brother, where art thou? That was directed by the Coens, but I could be wrong. I think that's his first Coens okay. came up. Uh, what's I know the one I'm thinking of. Hail with, Caesar. Uh, he does later. What's the one he does with Michelle? No, not Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, what movie am I thinking of? Doesn't matter. Okay, oh brother is the first one. I really wish intolerable I cruelty is the one I'm thinking of, oh, but that's later. Yeah, I yeah. thought you were thinking about Batman and Robin. I forgot. No, I, I would not. <laughs> intolerable cruelty, the movie everybody forgets is a Cohen's yeah, movie. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, and then from there, I mean, there's this kind of just run of these kind of historical movies, political movies that he's he's doing or up in the air might get in there. Talk about Jason Reitman. Uh, look at that. I think it's a very good movie. Uh, you know, relevant 2009 probably. He can do Descendants. Well. That's where he gets his Oscar. I thought nom. about it, you know, and again, just kind of speaking. He didn't get to, the win for that, right? No, I don't think he won. I didn't think so. I didn't for think that. he's got. One. I didn't think he had a trophy. Yeah, um, he has a trophy, doesn't he? I didn't think he did. Does he? Does he not? That would be. Maybe he did get it for Descendants. If he does, I, I can't think of. Well, if you look that up. I'm I'll gonna, look that up while you close does. this this list um, out. But I, I think you know, we would kind of look at those early big landmarks for him. Uh, and, and talk about a guy who is very private, kind of out of the public eye in some ways, but he's also a huge philanthropist. Uh, he's very locked into different environmental movements and uh, societal movements. He's very outspoken in, in those things. Um, but he also very has this in the, world, uh, the civil war in Sudan, for example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's got a lot of things going on in his mind. He's just a very interesting figure, I think, at a number of levels. And then he sells espresso machines, right? You know, I mean, it's also that element to him as well. I mean, his, his persona is still there. It's still very relevant. He does make advertisements and people pay him for that. He still does interviews. Uh, but in some ways, he does, I think, kind of keep himself out of a spotlight in a way that other celebrities don't necessarily. And so that kind of public figure uh, is always kind of fascinated me about him because he is, I think, a, a you know capital M movie star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also seems to be kind of reserved and quiet and, and, in a way. And so I, I think he's just very fascinating. I think he's just one of the greats. 
Um, and that's probably where we'd go with him and, and just kind of look at some of those early key touchstones that shaped his career, developed the relationships that would kind of define his career um, and look at the kind of character types that he does kind of really lock into. I think there are kind of two key ones there, but that's what we do is just a star study, I think, on George Clooney. Very cool. Very cool. I like that very much, Arthur. Dalton, what syllabus do you bring? Well, Dustin, before we talk about that, I do have to let you know that uh, George Clooney got a best performance, uh, best, <clears throat> best performance by supporting actor. Uh, in Syriana, 2005. There it is. That's a great yeah. movie. Does he have uh, a writing or directing? He he's got a producing win for Argo. Okay. Um, so right. He's got the producer I was win trying to remember Argo. if you got anything for Good Night and Good Luck. I know uh, we got no. some love, but uh, I think it got several nominations. Nominated for Best Achievement in Directing, Best uh, Achievement in Writing, uh, Original Screenplay. So yeah, he got noms on those. Uh, married to a human rights lawyer. God love him. What a yeah. great guy. He's, yeah, he's cool. We're not going to be talking about And Clooney. Rosemary's son, so there's that. Oh, yeah. Well, and just a reminder, everybody in Hollywood is related to somebody in Hollywood. You can't make it. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the Yugoslav Wars, guys. That's what this class shall is going to be about. We shall. Uh, I am not even close to being an amateur on this subject. I have tried my best to educate myself on the very, very, very uh, messy unraveling of the former Yugoslav republics in the 90s. Uh, that is Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, 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 Bosnia, Herzegovina. Uh, You've been studying. Macedonia. You know how to pronounce all these things. No, <laughs> unfortunately, not enough. Uh, Macedonia, Serbia, and there's one more, Montenegro. Mm. So that was the country. Those are the countries as they are now. Uh, they were formerly Yugoslavia, held together by uh, old, good old Joseph uh, Tito. Uh, Tito dies, and uh, the C- League of Communist Parties of these countries sort of immediately start dissolving, and bad shit happens. Why are we talking about it? Well, there's a lot of good media about this, and I think this would probably be a history intro to history class or a late 20th century European history class, but we would use some media to kind of help us have a better understanding of what it's like to be in a war and not to be shooting at people in a war, but to be in a war where shooting's happening around you, which I think is, again, this is the the biggest uh, conflict in Europe after World War II uh, up until uh, the current war in Ukraine, uh, which will probably end up being a larger conflict uh, than the Yugoslav Wars. Uh, but uh, some of the works we would look at are uh, the really great uh, video game, This War of Mine, which is a Polish video game uh, that's uh, based on conditions during the siege of Sarajevo. Uh, it's a really, really compelling video game uh, It tries to examine life in a war zone, um, civilian life in a war zone. Um, we'd also look at the Bosnian film Remake, uh, which tells the parallel coming-of-age stories of a father living in Sarajevo during World War II and his son living through the siege of Sarajevo during the Bosnian War. Uh, there's also uh, Where Eskimos Live, which is a Polish-American-British-German co-production starring Bob Hoskins. It's about a guy that poses as a, UN, a UNICEF rescuer of war orphans, but is really uh, part of uh, child trafficking. And he picks up this orphan uh, who uh, it gives him a life-is-for-living experience. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, it's Bob Hoskins is why I picked it. Uh, but I've, I'm very curious in Western co-productions when it comes to depictions of this war because NATO nations had such a hand in escalating these conflicts. Uh, I'm very interested in how NATO nations uh, see their role uh, from a media standpoint, how, how these productions end up depicting uh, the West during these conflicts. Uh, I'd also look at Michael Winterbottom's Welcome to Sarajevo, which is based on Natasha's story by Michael Nicholson. Uh, do you guys know about... Winterbottom's movie. Uh, 
you guys know Winterbottom, 24-hour party people. Um, I'm kind of aware of him, never gotten into his work. Uh, he's got this film, Welcome to Sarajevo, that's uh, based on a journalist who adopted this uh, kiddo, Natasha, from an orphanage of like 200 kids during mm. uh, the war. Uh, he was covering the war in, uh, in Bosnia specifically. Um, and um, yeah, adopted this kid from a orphanage in Sarajevo. So these are these are some of the stories that I looked at. This is not even close to an exhaustive list. Um, I, I again, I tried to find some some English productions because you know if I were teaching this in an academic setting, it would probably be helpful to have some Western, some American uh, media representations just to keep everybody interested. But remake is is a, again a I think a, a Bosnian uh, Bosnian Herzegovinian uh, production. Um, but th- those were a few that I found that I was like, Ooh, that the, the most kind of jumped out to me, uh, as really interesting films. Remake was the one that I was most like, that sounds really cool mm-hmm. that I, I think is worth checking out. But again, that, that would be the class, uh, the peacemaker of course, being the last little piece of the puzzle. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think the peacemaker is interesting as an American film for again, trying to ask some questions about what is the role of a, a quote-unquote peacekeeping nation during a larger conflict, a larger civil conflict between a dissolving group of nations. Um, the Peacemaker tries to ask some questions about that. It's not super successful, I don't think, but the fact that it asks them is very interesting and the fact that it looks at the aftermath of a, a large-scale conflict and, and the, the emotional catastrophes that that can, you know, the, the reverberations that can have throughout geopolitics, I think, is interesting. So those are some of the things we'd look at. Dustin, how on earth would you teach The Peacemaker? I think what I would do is one of those things that's is a great little caveat in the realm of film studies being such a great interdisciplinary uh, study hmm. by itself is that you can do almost any sort of massive topic or massive... Um, general educational topic with the conjunction and film. And I think this would just be uh, geopolitics and film. Yeah. And you can do a lot with and film. Yeah, uh, or political science maybe more broadly <clears throat> and film. And what I would use the Peacemaker in is in a module talking about um, approaching complexity. Mm-hmm. Because I do think the film is trying to approach complexity. These This massive set of varying webs of relationships and different issues that might be at work. Uh, Iranian conflicts being touched on. Obviously what's going on in uh, the Balkans is going on. Uh, the fall of the Soviet Union is part of it. The sort of strange, interesting relationship that Austria has with these nations in Eastern Europe is also part of it. And of course just American foreign policy mm-hmm. uh, during this sort of moment of the ending of the Cold War. So I, I think the film does that. Uh, there are some, several films that do it quite a bit better, one of them being Syriana, mm. thinking about uh, counterterrorism. And uh, Syriana is a great movie. It's just absolutely incredible movie, but it is also deeply complex in the way. It's one with Damon. Damon's the, the, one of the other stories in that, right? He's I think like Damon's an oil one of the contractor. Yeah. It's a movie I've seen like once and a half, and it's it's kind of loose in my. It's one of those movies that like washed over me where I was like, this is a lot to take in. It is a lot. Uh, Alexander Siddig uh, from Star Trek fame, for you Star Trek fans, he's a Deep Space Nine regular, uh, has an incredible turn as a, a moderate moving, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Saudi, I believe, uh, prince. Mm. So anyway, it's 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 really, really incredible film and uh, one I like a lot uh, for that. And apparently Clooney got nominated for an Academy Award for, or won an Academy Award. Yeah, one for, for supporting his, actor. For, for supporting actor there. And so, He's again, good in that movie. I do remember that. That, that, Great sad guy beard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another film I think that sort of, again, begins to sort of approach complexity, although it tells a fairly simple story in the midst of it, is Argo. 
uh, starring uh, Ben Affleck. I think that's a great, again, sort of attempt at this is kind of what's going on, and this is some... Con- it, it attempts to contextualize mm. uh, a set of events uh, with regard to what's going on in other events. And I, and I, and I think that attempt there is uh, fascinating and very, very useful. It doesn't necessarily make you run out to be the the villains of the peaks. Right. Which I think is valuable. Yeah. And so I, that that's, I think, another attempt at this. Another movie is a Harrison Ford film from the 90s, the early 90s, Clear and Present Danger. It's a Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan movie, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the complexities of just dealing with the drug war uh, and dealing with those individual complexities of the relationship of DEA to these various cartels in South America, but also the political intrigue that goes on with how we go about surveilling these sort of things, taking care of these things in ways in which some of those relationships can become spoiled or poisoned by greed or political machinations, power plays, Machiavellian kind of stuff there. And so uh, I I really find it to be a a movie that really tries to deal with a lot of the depth that was going on in the drug war. What movie was that again? Clear and Present Danger. So you started talking about it being a Tom Clancy thing, and I was surprised because I was you started talking about the drug war. I was like, wow, it sounds like uh, Steve Soderbergh's traffic is what we're talking about. But well, it's I mean, not. that's a good example. Clear and like, Present Danger is about the drug war, though. It huh? is, absolutely, yeah. Huh. Yeah, very, very much set in Colombia, mostly. Did not know that. So I yeah, assumed it, it was a Cold War movie. It, no, I mean, no. Post Cold wow. War, yeah, wow. So yeah, it's a fascinating little film. Uh, I really enjoy it. Uh, the last thing I would think I would suggest there for dealing with a very local set of complexities, and that would be season three of The Wire, uh, looking at that political. Yeah, uh, I'm way down in the hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you get yeah, got to keep the devil. You way have down to the... when you're walking through the garden, Dustin. <laughs> you better watch your back. Uh, and the Tom Waits song is the best one on season two, but nonetheless, the one Tom Waits actually does his own song. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, that's dealing with a lot of those. There, there, there are no clear cut good guys. There are no clear cut bad guys. Nobody's, in, but also the ways in which all these various pieces have to work together, and there are rules that some of them are to protect evil, some of them are to protect good, and when those rules are violated, the way in which various kinds and forms of chaos therefore ensues. Uh, I think that's pretty fascinating. Looking at the complexities of, again, just the political realm of Baltimore politics, but also the political realm of the Game of Thrones that is the drug uh, trade there, led by Avon Barksdale and Stringer Bell, and also what's going on with Rawls and uh, Burrell and uh, the other heads of the Baltimore Police Department. I find that all to be pretty fascinating as well. Have you watched any of We Own This City? I have not. It very much feels like a, a sequel to The Wire. It's okay. definitely Michael Simon going back to... It's it's about uh, Baltimore Gun Trace Task Force. Is this an HBO series? It's an HBO miniseries, yeah. Mm. So you've got access to it. Um, but yeah, it's it's David Simon dr- uh, adapting a nonfiction book okay. uh, about a, a real Baltimore Police Department uh, gun task force that was super corrupt. Okay. Uh, and definitely is... Uh, it's interesting to watch him kind of like use his wire toolkit on a nonfiction story. It's really mm. interesting. Yeah, that sounds like it's somewhat be up my alley. But that would be what I would do. It, it's, again, just sort of a section where we deal a lot with the, the bits of the ways in which we're trying to cinematically represent complexity and also recognizing that many times these issues that we're reckoning with is not simply just easy answer, just say no. <laughs> easy answer was just bomb them back in the Stone Age or whatever. Who's got the bigger stick kind of stuff? And how to... How to really think about these term these these conflicts or these various uh, geopolitical problems 
in their full contextual complexities and the ways in which cinema makes attempts or small screen makes attempts to demonstrate that in the moving image would yeah. be the class. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. I believe now it's time to get down to business. It's That's right. It is business time, friends and neighbors. Okay, Dalton, you said you did a lot of research here. Uh, okay. So give us what this movie is doing versus Uh-oh. what happened. So what this movie is trying to do uh, is say that the West bears some responsibility, and the West being NATO and the United States, I guess, uh, bears some responsibility in how nasty things got during the Yugoslav Wars, specifically in Sarajevo, right? Because this is the terrorist attack, a plotted terrorist attack that takes up the bulk of the second half of this movie is Garvich trying to get, who is a uh, last-minute replacement for another Serbian minister who got shot. Uh, whom he arranged to have he arranged shot. Who assassinated, yeah. Yeah, who he had assassinated so he could take his place at a UN peace conference so he could blow up the UN with a tactical nuclear device. That's what happens. And I what happened is I don't know enough honestly still. That's how th- this is one of those subjects where like you're like, "Oh, I've heard of that. What's that about?" and you immediately fall into the deep end because there are literally like five or six different wars you have to learn about to like start to understand what's going on. Not only that, you have to start to understand like the different ethnic makeups of different regions of the former Yugoslavia. Well, I know the complexity here, and I don't don't actually know the details, but I know that Bosnians, Croats, and Serbians um, at points share either religion or ethnicity, but don't ever share both. They share language. They can all understand. They all have mutually intelligible languages that they insist are different languages, and this is the sort of the the Bosnian Bosnian Herzegovinian languages. Serbian, Croat, and, and yeah, Bosniak are all similar bosniaks are mostly muslim um uh, croats are mostly catholic and serbians are mostly orthodox mm-hmm. um so yeah the religious that that's sort of how that breaks down and then but uh the croats are ethnically identical to the no that one of them's I, well i think one of the muslim groups is is ethnically identical to one of the christian groups i don't think that that's the case i don't maybe i maybe i misremember that's again i did just a little bit of research and there's a lot to to know so i could be wrong but that that is what is being you know garbage the character is sort of laying down like i i am all of these things you know i i'm in i'm this bosnian person and I, I make up all of these all of these different, you know, ethnic divisions are a part of me and my, my personal history, uh, basically saying, like, the West has pushed us against each other, and so the war has to come home to them now, is sort of his, like, larger thesis. Um, based on the little research I did, that, that might kind of be the case, but it's sort of hard to say, man. It's, a war was going to happen, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, and that a lot of that has to do with uh, fascist Croatia in the during World War II. Slobodan Milosevic and yeah, 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 all that bad stuff, which which you know colored fifty years later people's impressions of what a nationalistic Croatian movement would look like. So again, all of this to say, shit is deeply complicated. As always, it's Europeans being racist. Uh, <laughs> Which is what it always comes down to, almost all, almost always, and it is uh, the height of European racism, where it is just some white on white uh, ethnic nonsense. 
Um, again, I'm being oversimplifying for comedic effect a little bit, um, and, and more to just illustrate like how dense th- this topic is. I, I, I really fell in the deep end and I had to um, admit to myself very quickly. I simply don't have enough time to learn as much about this as I should. I have a fun fact. Yes. A fun fact is the date in which the most uh, NATO ordinance was dropped and the most people were killed was April 20th. 1999. Columbine, yeah. Columbine, same so, day. Yeah, that's uh, it's one of the best fun facts from uh, Bowling for Columbine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very... I remember learning that and going, oh, I don't know anything about the Kosovo conflict. Um, whoop. Yeah. Um, now, here's the thing I think the movie is interesting in doing because it does paint the romantic portrait of your terrorist insurgent mm-hmm. right and the the the, uh, the character that nicole kidman uh julie kelly describes as the guy who's not about respect who isn't about money and power who is about just wanting the one nuke right and he's the he's the most dangerous guy and i think you're right that the movie does paint him sympathetically and romantically mm-hmm. and some, yeah some and capacity. then that comes to an end after the turn of the millennium for obvious reasons mm-hmm. uh but mm-hmm. it, it but it is an interesting thing that we see quite a lot in the 90s is this again it's the, an enemy is just a friend you don't understand yet kind of idea yeah. right yeah and uh, I mean, t- there is an extent to which I'm sympathetic to some of that idea, but sure. these are people who are willing to, in response to having women and children and civilians massacred, to turn around and massacre women and children and civilians. If you're if you're wanting to blow up civilians, you've probably become the bad guy. Yeah. No matter like what your justification is. Right. And and and, and though uh, again, other empires have done that, and mm-hmm. they should just simply be painted as bad guys. And we yeah. Should, you know, I, but it. Nonetheless, I mean, morals, moralizing aside, it is interesting that there is this sort of real strong attempt to do quite a lot of this in the mm. 90s that does sort of begin to go away. And I, I think it is good to not want to make Dushan into kind of a good romantic guy because, again, he wants to – I mean, there's a lot of people living on Manhattan Island yeah, who he, got nothing to do with Kosovo. No. Nothing at all. Yeah. And so that makes him a monster despite what he said. Yeah, that should happen in Sarajevo, but you know, uh, Brooklyn had nothing to do with that. Exactly. Yeah, and so there's so I, I'm happy for that move, but the other side of that move, as we move into the new millennium, is that idea that um, we no longer seek to understand that they might have real grievance. Well, I think that's mm. such a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, we we exit the 20th century, and the 21st century becomes a whole different ball game very quickly because of 9/11. And I think that there is a an impulse to treat all non-state actors as villains right away. And I, you know, for understandable reasons, but I, I think to our own detriment, culturally and, and historically. Like yeah, there's, that, there's a certain greatness there, that they really have been wronged. Yeah, I, I think that any, you know, I, I look, I'm not in school anymore, but I don't imagine most public school lesson plans about 9-11 uh, get into... Uh, how bad shit was in Afghanistan for uh, ever, ever, yeah, yeah, ever. I, I was gonna say for the 20th century, but really just ever. Oh yeah, because the 18 what 1880s is the uh, British Afghan War. That sort of starts mm-hmm. that whole ball rolling, right? Yeah. So truly, going all the way back to the 19th century, mm-hmm. has, has has it been a war zone in some capacity or another? Uh, and I think that that's valuable to understand that foreign policy leads to domestic problems. 
foreign policy will come home. Was it Foucault's boomerang? Is that is that the idea? Uh, I don't know if it's Foucault's boomerang, but it's, <sighs> it's definitely a boomerang. Something about it. yeah, I can't remember what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking about the thing where uh, your your tactics overseas will the, the empire's tactics overseas will inevitably make their way back home. Is and sometimes that's uh, is it Foucault's boomerang? Thanks, to Arthur. That's usually talking about police state tactics, mm-hmm. right? It's talking about subjugation of oppressed uh, peoples of the empire and then those same subjugation tactics being used on the civilian populace. But it could also be said that, well, you might be making terrorists with your your bad uh, foreign policies overseas, and that's how the boomerang is going to come back to get you. Right. So Yeah. No, there, there, there's, yeah, and not just like unintended consequences, but, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like intentionally, like, I'm just, we're just going to exploit you. And then, surprise, surprise, people don't lay down and take that very well. No. You know. Which isn't to say that, uh, you know, America brought it on us. Uh, anytime somebody gets blown up for being an American, it's America's fault. That's a much... That's what, in a way too big way of a Way too simple of a way yeah. for, to say what we're saying. We are saying it is it is more nuanced than good guys and bad guys. Yeah, it, that is morally yeah. an evil thing. But those people who do that, they, again, they are not entirely coming from a place where they're twirling their mustaches and going, what's the most evil thing I could do? It's not not like that. I think this, you're right though, that this it's situated in a time period where this very small window of time where it's happening a little bit in movies, Mm -hmm. even in something like true lies, which has got pretty comically villainous Muslim terrorists, (laughs) uh, is still like tries to paint them as having sympathetic goals. If I remember right, it's been a long time since I've seen true lies. Memory serves that, but I have to watch it again to be sure. So as well. All right, let's move into gender and how this movie starts to be really, really interesting. Before it stops being Before interesting. Before it stops caring about being interesting. Well, Mimi Letter puts a breastfeeding civilian mother on the train that gets nuked. So that's, that's already an act of feminist filmmaking. Absolutely. Uh, and then we've got Nicole Kidman saying, get me a man who listens. Girl, isn't that what everybody's <laughs> looking for? <laughs> Let me tell you, sis. Uh, but no, yeah, it's we kind of get this... This setup that we—it's going to be a his girl Friday tape situation. These two are going to banter. They're going to butt heads because he's not going to be able to listen, and uh, she's not going to want to hear his uh, field experience. And we don't really get any of that. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't really deliver on them having a relationship at all. There's a real weird turning point, uh, and it's in that moment where they meet, where uh, you know he kind of usurps her in front of a crowd mm-hmm. and points out things she missed. Or their team missed. Mm-hmm. And then that the film never really recovers from that moment. They get a little back and forth banter in the office. Yeah, he comes on the phone. He's got coffee. And, you know, there's a, like a little meet cute kind of moment there. The, the, the her being on the phone being like, okay, leave the coffee. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good bit of business. Well, she asks him if he wants coffee and tells it's, him where the coffee is. That's, that's really a good, good. Fun, That's a fun bit, too. Yeah. Um, but then uh, once it really in earnest becomes, you know, they, they go to Austria, Vienna. Mm. And it really does become, he asserts himself as this kind of, as you mentioned, Jack Bauer type. Yeah. And we she need, just kind of follows the efficient distribution suit. of violence. Yeah. She never really, I mean, she never really challenges him. You know, when he's like, take the shot, there's a child in the way, take the shot. And she's like, just kill him. You know, I mean, she just kind of falls in line with his, I think, practices, except for like, she's still questionable about. You know, blackmailing with black market SUVs. Yeah, but I mean, well, when they get have the oh, go ahead. No, I just I, I don't know that it really it doesn't keep that through line of I'm in charge. Listen to me. They try to continue it when he goes on the chopper thing, right? To stop. What's the freaking Russian general's Kotorov. name? Kotorov. When they they go to intercept Kotorov with the nukes on the way. You to You know, Iran. every other country 
Stateman uh, <laughs> character in this movie, but you can't remember Cotter off. I can't remember Cotter off to save my life, unfortunately. <laughs> Who gives a really good sweaty bad guy performance. He is, he's good. He's drenched in sweat for the second half of this movie. <laughs> he looks yeah. incredible. Yeah. This guy's stressed out trying to get these damn nukes he's across multiple borders. Yeah. yeah. But when when he leaves, uh, when um, DeVoe, uh, Clooney's character, leaves on the chopper, she's like, you better not go killing anybody unless I tell you you're allowed to kill people. Yeah. Don't start a war unless we get permission to start a war, damn it. But even then, like, what does that turn into? She has to make the call of like, okay, we have to go into restricted airspace. Like, that that's what it turns into, is it, it's her making the... The, the gun toting, the gun toting call. Yeah, this movie had this great opportunity with the, the cowboy call. That's what I was trying to with the with the, uh, with the Russian uh, ground control guys. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 Vaynerchuk moment from the Russian sub in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, the guy who decides not to send the missiles, waiting to make sure that they get they get the orders right. Yeah, like there there was there's a moment there where they're like, you know what, we're gonna wait because this is a big deal and we don't want to get this wrong, and it just fumbles it yeah I don't, I don't know whose choice that is i wonder where that decision happened but it's uh, it makes sense from a storytelling standpoint to make dr kelly like see the cost of her actions i guess uh, and, and it's not the only moment in the movie where like letter lingers on the life or death consequences of the uh, the events like we get a couple of lingerings on dead bodies throughout the film which uh you know you know i'm a sucker for that as a filmmaking choice um so i don't know i i think it makes sense again to to make Dr. Kelly like be in a very real situation where her, her calls are no longer theoretical, but it also does feel like you're right. Like a missed opportunity as far as, well, wouldn't it be cool though, if uh, the, there was some, you know, cross national understanding here in this moment of tension. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's, it's weird. Uh, I don't know if that's a Michael Schiffer screenplay choice or a letter choice or what, but it is, yeah, I agree, sort of miscalibrated. But as you were saying, though, there, there's a way in which the, the, vab, the, the, the violence itself, the masculinity itself, is in a weird way baptized, you know, and as just, this is okay. And in fact, the movie does it cinematically. There's this weird choice in the, uh, the big uh, circle market park area where the... Uh, Battle Royale with the cars happens, mm-hmm. right? They turn on the sprinklers for some strange reason. The whole thing gets just, again, drenched in water. And it's somehow, again, if you're thinking in, in just in terms of cinematic symbolism, there's a way in which we are baptizing this violence at that moment. Interesting. You know? And uh, that, we're, that that now Nicole Kidman's character has been baptized into violence, and this is just what we're going to do now. Well, because it's it's so interesting because she's set up as the voice of reason, and as, as Arthur said, once you know Clooney gets tired of playing diplomat with the, the trucking guy, we have this moment where she's like, "What are you doing?" And then she's like, "All right, well, I guess I'll go break into his computer while this is happening, and then just go along with it and try to get these shipping manifests." But it's it's the movie doesn't seem to feel any sort of way about Clooney going tie tie this guy to the chair mode. Yeah, it's which it just this movie feels like it should feel some sort of way about that, and it it doesn't really because he tortures the guy. Yeah, for information. Clooney's character is very by any means necessary. Big is time. his motto. Yeah, and the film just seems to be like yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, I, it, it sort of tacitly no, endorses him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, doesn't really seem to question that or really want to deal with it or interrogate that. Even anyway. though it sets up Kidman as the character that's going to do that. Yeah. I, it's so strange. It's it's just an odd choice, and it, it does it is one of the shortcomings of the film that makes you wonder. Maybe... I don't know, maybe on repeat viewings, I'd notice little things Kidman I mean, does, she's yelling but... at him in the car saying, I can't believe you did that. This is a stupid idea. Yeah. But then, a- then her actions entirely thereafter are just like, well, go with it. Yeah. yeah. I will say, though, that it's interesting that every government employee in this movie is like hyper competent, which would be nice. Uh, I can assure you that is not the case. <laughs> Correct. Uh, but it would be cool. Uh, I-, I don't know. It's It's a very Hollywood... Especially '90s Hollywood mm-hmm. sort of West interpretation, wingy, very yeah. West Wingy yeah, interpretation of like what goes on in Washington D.C. And it is, yeah, it's CSI. It's everybody has like everybody's doing the walk and talk. Everybody is where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there, and knows exactly like what their job is. And I, yeah, it's a fun fantasy world. Is this prior to uh, West Wing or during the midst of yeah, midst okay. of the run yeah? Because West Wing's first episode is '93. No, it's not 90, that early. Actually, it's... 96? No, because it runs all the way until... The 2002. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about uh, how weird it is that Clooney is the coolest soldier ever while I look up the West Wing. Is he? I, I think, think Clooney's so. just cool. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, no. yeah. I mean, he's the coolest... He's the coolest... He could be the trash man. He's yeah, going to be the coolest yeah, trash coolest man. Coolest air, air conditioner repair man. Because yeah. he's George Clooney. Because he's George Clooney, yeah. He just makes being an army ranger so hot. He's, yeah. George Clooney's doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just I don't know. It's it is the most American thing that this movie could have is like the hottest, most charismatic guy is the soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because soldiers are charismatic hot guys. Another thing that's not always true. Uh, <laughs> Nineteen ninety nine, by the way, is when the West Wing okay. starts airing. Really? So this is pre West Wing. Pre West Wing. But it definitely that I think that that sort of government procedural stuff's already in the water. Yeah. Thanks, thanks to Sorkin. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a well, he's few done good American already been, He's yep. done other stuff. Yeah. A few good men. Yeah. Yep. Already been a huge deal. So yeah. the 90s are kind of primed for this. Again, yeah. it, it's the end of history, as we talk about all the time. Uh, Dustin, you want to go ahead and lay that down real quick? Francis Fukuyama wrote an essay in which uh, he argues that the end of history, the history itself was culminating in this sort of massive conflict between communist Russia and uh, NATO, uh, basically envisioned by North America. And when Russia falls in 1993, I want to say. One to three, depending on who you ask. Yeah, somewhere in that neck of the woods. That moment marks, and really the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, uh, marks the end of history. And now we're in a post-historical moment of late capitalist sort of supremacy. And so that's the moment we're at. And famously, the the phrase is turned by Francis Fukuyama in that essay, the end of history. He's kind of come back and been like, my bad. I was yeah, wrong. I was, I was wrong. wrong about that, right? That's yeah. what I thought. But anyway, it's it's just useful to bring up anytime we talk about the 90s. It's good to talk about that idea. Like this is something that's in the water at at the time. Um, in this post-historical world, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's good to think about. It. I think it just sort of I don't know, highlights or underlines in some way that the nature of like government depictions in this era are, mm-hmm. are, are definitely it seems framed as like, well, these are the world cops, of course, cuz who else would be? Right. It's, I don't know, it's this this peacekeeping United States that doesn't really exist. It's it's very interesting how it's, it's an interesting idea, film. but that's never. I mean, it's always within our own interest, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, again, Sudan being a great example of this, and something that George Clooney Claire cares very much about. That there was incredible genocide in that particular civil war, mm-hmm. and uh, but there was there's no oil or agricultural resources there to be had. So why would we go help them out? 
Yeah, there's uh, a lot of that going on. There's there's lines like, sir, it's not our war, it is now, things like that. There's a lot of that going on in this movie that sort of speaks to the ways in which some powers get involved in border drawing, and it only ever makes it worse for the people whose borders are getting redrawn. Mm-hmm. It never works out. Um, it's, it's always a, a huge catastrophe so i think that's interesting i love the german guy in new york asking who the fascists are now as they're oh, yeah. patting down everybody yeah. with a backpack mm-hmm. that's a real great pre-patriot act moment yeah very yeah. funny um we love it honestly put a young german guy saying who's the fascist now in every movie about everybody everybody else's government it's great yeah <laughs> it's funny to me i love it all right any other uh, big thoughts on uh this particular film the peacemaker it's cool to park a train in a mountain to blow up a nuke and hide from the nuclear explosion. That is kind of neat. Uh, it's cool to imitate the shot from the third man. Yeah, to do it. Uh, is that what that's is referencing? Yeah, that little light on the wall. Yeah, that's gotcha. that's fun too. Uh, it's cool to have all the laser lights come out of the bullet holes of the train. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I, did, I didn't love that bit. You're wrong. It's cool. okay. <laughs> you're wrong. It's cool. Letter was right. It's a cool touch. I think this movie kind of kicks ass a little bit. All right, well, let's render a verdict then. Shelf or trash, Arthur? I am going to have to put this one in the trash. I uh, I, I just wish uh, the whole movie was as consistent and solid as the first 30 minutes. Uh, it just, just doesn't work for me. What do you say, Dalton? I'm, I'm a little gentler. I think the last 30 minutes are really cool. I love Clooney running across the tops of uh, New York traffic. Uh, I love the church standoff. Um, I'm a big fan of most of this movie, but I agree. it's It's definitely got some weak moments and it definitely drags and sections uh especially as it tries to connect one b plot to another um so i am going to very very gently trash it i think it lives on streaming and should stay there but i i think it's it is one of many uh 90s dad movies and i think it's one of the more interesting ones that we've discussed on this show at least recently uh again lots of government thrillers uh this sneakers is a movie that this made me think of like there's a lot of movies like this i think jamel bowie's got a podcast right now talking about this sort of the 90s era of you know governmental thrillers and this is definitely slots nicely into that canon i think so i like it for for what it is dustin is this a trasher for you totally yeah done wow (laughs) well there you have it uh, if you want to tell Dustin he's wrong and me that I'm right, you can go to Patreon. Nope, wrong one. You can send us an email to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, it's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for long-form feedback. We're also on Twitter at goodtrashmedia if you want to get in touch with us there. Uh, lastly, if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash GTM, now's the part where I talk about that. Uh, you can find out how to help us keep the lights on. You can find out all kinds of cool stuff you can get for yourself by giving us a little scratch. Things like picking a movie for us to talk about on the show or things like us sending you a movie. Check it out. Patreon.com forward slash GTM. Arthur, uh, what are we going to be talking about next week? Are we staying in 1997 or are we moving on? Yeah, our adventures in 1997 are going to continue for one final week next week. This is a great marathon. I love it. I it's love just it. off the cuff. 97 marathon. I love random. it. Random. I know. 25 years later. You know, what a, what a world. Uh, and it felt appropriate with this current weather. It's been so hot. Uh, it's just been so uh, humid in Oklahoma. It felt appropriate to kind of stick with something that, that matched with that. Something maybe set on the water. Uh, and so next week, we're going to take a trip down the Amazon River when we talk 
Anaconda. Anaconda. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Is that what you thought it was? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm very much looking forward to seeing Jennifer Lopez, Ice Cube, and John Voight in Anaconda. <laughs> oh, man. You're going to see John Voight in a state that you're going to be displeased I with. haven't seen... I, I remember. I haven't seen this movie since I was probably eight years old. I'm very excited. I think I saw it in the theater, and that was the last time. So, yeah. This is going to be great. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. Oh.